Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. This episode is sponsored by Happy Fox Health, a natural supplement brand focused on CMOS, a marine algae that has 92 out of 102 essential nutrients that your body needs to thrive and regenerate. I've used a number of their products and found it's really given me clarity of mind. Visit happyfoxhealth.com and use promo code THECRAFT for an exclusive 15-20% to 20% discount off your first product purchase. As a number of you know, I'm also a certified sound therapy practitioner and founder of Oto Healing, a sound therapy studio and practice. Sound has been a healing modality through many cultures for thousands of years. Oto's approach to sound is rooted in both art and science, the art being the history of sound, the science being quantum physics, biology, brainwave states, and more. All listeners of the show get 15% off their first private one-hour session. Visit otohealing.com to book yours now. Nick Lowe is an entrepreneur to his core. With an introspective nature that softens the sometimes hard edges of a typical polymath hustler. He's accomplished, no doubt, a physiotherapist, founder of Physio Room, part of the original Myo Detox team, once a COO and now a senior advisor, co founder of Web3 Creative Studio Odd Future, and co founder of global running community and platform Run As You Are. He was born and raised in Vancouver, the younger of two sons to immigrant Chinese parents. His father and uncles owned and operated a grocery store in the West End, where Nick spent weekends and summers working there. It's easy to see where he got his entrepreneurial spirit from. His hardworking father never took a vacation and spent any time off taking him to other grocery stores to look at pricing and packaging. Nick did his Bachelor of Science at the University of British Columbia, then completed a Master in Physiotherapy in 2006. Five years later, he founded PhysioRoom and began blazing his path in the health and well-being space. In this conversation, we explore how love was expressed in his family, what the time he spent as a child with his father meant to him, his introverted nature, how entrepreneurship and selling your vision can be a lonely road, one's personal brand in a performative culture, his human-centered approach to physiotherapy, why he entered Web3 and what he's observing about the space, the things he loves about running and the global community around it, the one thing he loves about watching his son develop into a little human, loving words for his father, and much more. Please enjoy this very personal conversation with a genuinely kind, forward-thinking, and self-reflective Nick Lowe. Nick Lowe. Hi. Hello. Hi. (laughs) Welcome to The Craft. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad you're in here. I am very glad I'm in here as well. Mm -hmm. We've had a a couple of really good conversations since officially meeting mm-hmm. through Zach Berman and actually through Courtney Chu, That's two right. very good mutual friends of ours. Mm-hmm. And I've really, really enjoyed the conversations. We've talked about a lot of different things and yeah, I'm excited to have one more round and hopefully many more. Likewise, uh, shocked that we haven't crossed paths sooner. Seems like we have a lot of uh, mutual friends Obviously, Zach and Courtney, but others as well. Um, 
yeah, just surprised we haven't crossed paths yet. And here we are now making this this new friendship very official by having you in this room. This is official. <laughs> it is. Well, I would love to start with your origin story because it's something that we talked about during our, our last coffee. And I thought it was so fascinating. And there were so many things about your story that resonated with me because there were a lot of similarities. But I would love for you to share the story of how you grew up and where entrepreneurship came from, observing your father and your, your uncles running a, a store. Sure. Okay. We're going way back. We um, are. Yeah. Let's, let me see. We're, what's a good Why don't we start with born and raised and sure. sort of go from there and I'll help, I'll help guide. Okay. So born in 1982. So I just aged myself, of course. Um, in Vancouver, BC, and raised in Vancouver. I uh, lived in kind of the east side of Vancouver for quite a number of years. Uh, I It's funny because I don't always have a good uh, memory of, of what my... I, I always try to close my eyes and picture what my first house was like, and I, I have a very vague memory of, of what it looks like and I, I don't it's like a it's a bit of a strange thing that I haven't been able to like kind of pull that back up but it was in East Vancouver I think it was on Windsor Street it's funny because I'm moving back into that neighborhood very soon uh, my brother lives in that neighborhood now um, and it's a you know it's an area that that uh, I have always been kind of around since since uh, my kind of my early days but I lived in that area for probably all the way till I was eight, nine, or ten, some something around that zone. Um, my dad, as far back as I can remember, uh, owned and operated a grocery store, a grocery produce store, like a little market in downtown Vancouver. So this is on Davy Street and Butte Street, um, and. Ever since I was born and as a child, uh, he's been just working. I don't, never really had a relationship with my dad outside of him working. Um, so he's he's had that shop. He had that shop for, I think, like 40, 40 to 50 years, something along those lines, with his brothers, so my, my two uncles. Um, and the only time to kind of connect with my dad was uh, at at the store, so both me and my brother, uh, at a very early age, worked worked there. Um, so I I think I worked there, probably as early as twelve. <laughs> probably shouldn't be saying that, <laughs> <laughs> but definitely was working there when I was twelve. <laughs> it's and, not child labor. It was child just wanting to be close to you know dad. Yeah. So <laughs> I remember very like actually vividly that I was growing up I was very close to my dad during the summers because I spent all my time working at the store and I would go so he has a big truck he's always had a big truck since I was a kid um, since I was born basically so I would go in the truck with him and he would drive me to work every morning at I think he worked at 9 a.m every day he opened the shop and he did not leave the shop till about 10 or 11 p.m. every single day. And 
I would say all the way until he retired. That's the the kind of longest tenure um, that that I know of, anyways. So every summer I worked there for the three to four months that I was off school. Uh, and then even during the year, I would work there probably on the weekends. But me and my dad had a really close relationship, but he was always surrounding work. So, you know, we, we never really talked about much out, outside of work, to be honest. Um, he was very proud of, 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 you know, it's always funny when, when, when someone is at home and then when somebody's at work, it, they have two completely different identities. Um, and I, I could just see at work, at the shop, just how much respects and how much the community um, around him just kind of loved what he built. Um, and at an early age, I saw that, you know, everybody would come in and thank him and, you know, say hi and do all the, you know, give him gifts during Christmas and things like that. He al it's almost like he had another life in some ways, right? And I was fortunate enough that I was able to obviously work with him and, and, and uh, kind of see that side of him because it brought so much joy to him. Um, it's like even later on, I would say he even, I remember if we ever had time away from the shop, where we would go is other produce stores, mm. which is kind of weird because you're in a produce and you know grocery store all day and we would together go to another produce store and market and he would kind of walk me around the produce store and kind of show me the different prices and different products and you know how 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 it all works he was very proud of what he had built and I knew how happy it made my dad so I didn't like it wasn't exactly the most fun for me kind of like you know I wanted to play sports or <laughs> do other things but because my dad wanted to do it so much um I just kind of played along with it and right it, it was your quality time with him and totally. and you know you you I'm sure that you would just take that yeah whatever time that you could get exactly and if you were going to describe him other than hardworking, because he is he first, he immigrated here, yes? Yes. Yes, okay. And if you were going to describe his personality other than, yes, hardworking, what else would you say? Um, that's always a tough one because hardworking is the, the most obvious um, word to describe him. I would say unconditional love because he expressed it in a way that's not that common he, I don't think he's ever said that to me to this day I don't think he's ever said that to me um, but I think when I hung out with him as well as so every night he would also call the family this was at like 9 p.m. before he would come home and he would always ask what we needed from the store and whether it's, you know, milk or food or whatever, he'd always ask, ask. And my mom would usually, you know, have an order of food that he, she wanted, but he would always ask what we wanted, like me and my brother. Um, and we would always get on the phone with them and, you know, we wanted like all the chocolate bars and chips <laughs> and things like that. And my mom would never let us, you know, 
get it. So he would always sneak it. Oh, yes. yes. Okay. He would always like have a separate bag that he would sneak in the house. And when my mom went to sleep, he would give it to me and my brother. So I just know how much he cared about making us happy. And that was the only way he knew how to express it mm. was through the store. Mm. So, yeah, I've, again, like I, I know I, I spoke to you last time we, we hung out that I'm, I'm a father now and I have a son. And now it's, I understand those experiences so much more than before I was a father. And, you know, wanting to make my, my son like proud and uh, is, is really everything that, that matters. And I can really start to like, you know, feel what my dad felt um, even at an early age when, when I was, when I was young, just, you know, the, the efforts he put into, to make me smile and all that kind of stuff was, it, it made me appreciate it a lot more. Mm. I'm curious to know, um, do you, do you tell your son that you love him often? So he's only 16, 15, 16 months right now. <laughs> so definitely. Yes. I try to, I try mm. to. As much so again, I'm, I'm so I'm born and raised in Vancouver. So the expression of love is is a little bit more um, common, I would say, uh, where where my parents and f- from their generation, also from kind of where um, I guess like how they were brought up, it's not as common, right? Um, it's always it's it's like a kind of running joke that if you ha- ever have like an Asian wedding, that there's going to be a lot of crying <laughs> because that word will probably come out for the first time. <laughs> Cause it's all, it's all leads up to that one yeah. moment where somebody's making a speech, either the bride, the groom, the parents, somebody's making a speech. And, that, and everyone's that, in shambles. <laughs> literally everyone's in shambles because that word is so not common in that culture, especially mm. from their generation. Uh, whereas it's it's kind of funny in in you know North American culture it's you know it's something you just say um, you know even when you leave the room sometimes totally right? yeah love you mom love you dad or whatever that does not happen uh, that often so when I grew up I've never used that word I wonder if there is a kind of really deep intentionality around the use of of love in in that culture i mean we use it so colloquially now it's like totally you know i i'll say i'll say when you leave love you love you friend (laughs) (laughs) you know and i yeah i wonder if if yeah there was just like this really really like um intent like real intentionality to when you use the word love in chinese culture or maybe maybe many other cultures too I, yeah, I think so. Um, maybe, maybe the way they define it is slightly different. Um, yeah, again, I'd like the, the, I know for, for myself, the, the most I've ever cried was at my brother's wedding. Yes. Because that was the first time I've actually heard it go both ways where my brother, I mean, he went upstage, like on stage and had the full like ugly cry thing happening so it was really hard not to cry anyways Mm. but it was when I when I saw my dad cry because my dad my mom cries all the time because she's an emotional type but not my dad 
my dad is always the, I've never seen this guy cry, right? He goes to work and provides for the family. And that's how he's always shown his, his love for, for the family. And it was just kind of this weird unwritten rule is we just don't talk about it. You know, there's not a lot of like embracing or, or words of affection or anything of that nature. Um, but my dad, I remember took off his glasses and started just crying because I think my brother, I don't even remember the words he said, but he said something a lot like that word came out somewhere in that speech. Mm. Um, and then my brother came around and gave him a hug uh, and my mom as well. And man, I just, I, I was crying for like an hour after that. It was yeah. tough. Um, but good as and well. Special, like that's that's also a special moment. Yeah, kind of liberating mm. in a mm -hmm. lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I feel like you, you, it gets pent up, right? Right. Yeah, because humans, we crave that. We crave love. We crave affection. We crave, you know, a sense of care and belonging and all of that stuff. And a lot of times, when you grow up in certain households, like the way I did. That just wasn't a thing, you know. Mm -hmm. You're so you're either like, like overcompensate with friends and and your partners, <laughs> <laughs> right? Or it or it just gets continues to get bottled up, and yeah, you know, one day like a wedding or, you know, retirement or you know some sort of big monumental thing, uh, it just all comes out, yeah. right? So. And I mean, crying is liberating too, you 100%. know, like just the feeling you have, even if you have a real big ugly cry. After that, you're just like, ah, oh, I feel so good. <laughs> totally, totally. It's it's there's like a, a neurochemical response in totally. your body. Totally, right? so. yeah. And what were you like as as a kid? Were you quiet, stoic? <sighs> yeah. So a lot of, a lot of people are surprised. I'm, so I was very very quiet. I would easily call myself a loner. Like growing up, that's how I would definitely define myself. I didn't. You know, my brother was the opposite, right? Like he he was like the athlete of the year. Like he was in basketball, he was in track. You know, he had all the friends, <clears throat> the sociable uh, one. And then again, me, I, I don't even know what it is, but I remember when I entered high school, um, I was almost like embarrassed for my brother because I knew how popular he was. And I was like the polar opposite, right? So. You know, I was kind of like the nerdy kid. <laughs> you know, just played a lot of video games with myself, hung out with my dad a lot at work. Uh, I was like a very introverted kid. I liked to, you know, read my own books, uh, play my own games. I played sports, but pretty much by myself. Like I didn't have a lot of close social kind of friends. My brother was the opposite. So throughout high school it wasn't until i started playing basketball that it started to kind of open me up a little bit <clears throat> um and the, again the truth is i i you know i looked up to my brother i wanted to be just like him he was the cool kid in school and he never he doesn't know this and he like again we don't have that <laughs> kind of like like relationship where we express ourselves very often so um i he was like he was like hands down like my like i wanted to be just like my brother growing up mm. mm -hmm. So maybe you'll hear this. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing is I do know your brother, too, because in my past career, Colin was a colleague of mine, though 
he was an agent and I was on the corporate side, but still. Um, so that's kind of, it's, it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about him as a young person, sort of knowing what I know about him just from a work standpoint. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And again, like he, like, you know, he's in real estate now and he's <clears throat> like, he's always been the same. Like he's very sociable. Like they have parties at their house all the time. Like they have friends over all the time. You never keep track of how many friends this guy <laughs> has. And like, even though I grew up like very introverted, I'm still the same person, right? Super introverted. I'm not like, I don't love going to parties. I don't love socializing with people I don't know because of my work and because of, and I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs are like this, uh, maybe because we're stuck in our heads a lot where, you know, we're, we're constantly thinking of new ways to, uh, you know, whether it's create or solve a new problem, but it's always, it's just happening constantly in our heads, not necessarily expressive. Um, it, it always ends up being like a path towards, you know, I'm going to do this, right? Mm. I'm going to do this. And you, you end up kind of going, and I would say my, my kind of career journey and entrepreneurial journey has been very similar. Like, I don't, I don't, I have a lot of friends, but then they're really like, a lot of them are business associates and people I've met through, um, you know, building companies and, supporting each other and things like that. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, I spend a lot of my time at home by mm. myself. Right? Yeah. Well, I do remember you posted something recently where you, you said that the entrepreneurial journey is, can be lonely, mm -hmm. especially when you have a vision that others can't see quite yet. Mm -hmm. um, but then you went on to say that, that it's important to, to share your ideas and solutions to problems with, other entrepreneurs like like yourself and it 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 reminds me sort of like what you were saying about your dad and you know a lot of people coming to see him and you know like really supporting him and thanking him and yeah it does it doesn't surprise me that you have that kind of philosophy of community again totally yeah i mean the uh, yeah i've been an entrepreneur for a long time now and i i don't you know i i think it's not portrayed often enough as like the kind of the more real side of what entrepreneurship is, um, which isn't all like, you know, the bells and whistles of, of, of success, but it's defined differently. I would say I wouldn't trade it for, for the world, but I spend a lot of time at home questioning what I'm doing. Um, I've spent a lot of time crying by myself that I don't tell anybody about uh, because you're, you're, it's so bottled up, right? You go to work every day and you're supposed to be this leader that, you know, everyone's coming for, to you for support, for advice, for, you know, to help show them the way. And then you go home and you're like, who's going to help me show, who's going to show me the way, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and I know other entrepreneurs deal with it. I'm friends with a lot of them. Um, it's like, you're constantly almost acting in some ways, like you're, you know, because part of selling your vision is to act like it's, you know, very successful 
as you're building it. I very much understand that. And we live in a performative culture, mm-hmm. right? And so, yes, you're right. We're all somewhat acting and we're faking it till we we make it. And yeah, and I agree. It's so important to have people that you can talk to who are entrepreneurs who've built things before and makes it seem less lonely and it's so nice when those entrepreneurs reach out to you as you're starting your journey to say like hey and I've I had a few people come to me when I started Oto and when I started the craft and they're like you know being an entrepreneur can be a lonely road so if you need to talk about anything I'm here for you and that was really nice because as I started to embark on this journey in the last two years I'm like wow there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot to do and there is a lot to juggle. And you're right about the the whole vision thing too. When you see something and you really want to make it happen now, but there's a slow progressive road there. Yeah, I, you know, I think all entrepreneurs are visionaries, right? Whether their vision comes to life or not is, you know, often a, a potentially a failure of not expressing yourself as much as you should. Because again, entrepreneurs, like they see the world differently. Of course, that's why they started their business. That's why they started their brand. Nobody's supposed to understand the vision that an entrepreneur has, right? Um, it's usually to that extreme. And, you know, and some entrepreneurs are a little bit more extroverted and, you know, they go on a lot of podcasts and they talk about their product a lot and they're kind of like more sales driven, like they're constantly talking and selling their, their vision. And then some are a little bit more quiet and, um, you know, a little bit more introverted and a little bit more shy about their things. So I've, again, I've always thought like, look, everybody's great at talking about their own vision. Like everybody's an expert in what they're building. So is there, you know, if there's a way that we can, you know, create an environment where everyone feels comfortable and not judgmental about, about um, you know, because not everyone likes to go on social and talk about their stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I don't like it. I hate it, actually. Mm-hmm. But you need to talk about your stuff, <laughs> you know, because other people out there are dying to hear what it's about because the problem, what whatever they're struggling with, you might have the answer. And whatever you're struggling with, they probably have the answer. So... Why don't we share more, mm. right? In your opinion and in your experience, maybe more so experience than opinion, um, when you have a vision and you're trying to translate it to to other people, what have you found has been helpful for people to understand your vision um, in a way that you, um, that is, yeah, that is true to the essence of your vision? <laughs> Again, that's, I think that's always hard, number one, because, you know, in this, I guess, like, where we are in the world right now, with, like, how social media is, everybody's building if you're on social media, right? So it makes it hard because everyone is effectively, like, selling to each other you know, who they are, what they're about, their passion, their vision, all this kind of stuff, right? So I, because I've been a part of this entrepreneur's journey for so long, I remember very vividly when I started my first company, how that didn't exist. 
And to me, it was a way simpler time and a lot easier. Um, some would say harder, right? Because you can't just post something and have, you know, a million people like look at it or like it if it goes viral. Back then, it, you know, we knocked on doors. Mm. You know, the first company I opened, which was Physio Room in 2011, I very much remember how we went every single household and I knocked on every single door and introduced myself to every single person. You know, and the conversion rates are very low, but that's what we did. Yeah. <laughs> we had to introduce ourselves. So it's the flyers, it's the, yeah. the door knocking and door knocking, mm -hmm. the hey, I'm a, you know, I'm mm -hmm. new to this neighborhood. I'm just opening a physio clinic. And you know, it's like you're you're in sales mode. So <clears throat> but back then I think there was a bigger divide between um, you know, people that were trying to build businesses and, and companies and um take that entrepreneurial journey. And then those who just weren't interested in that, and that's okay, right? So, you know, you had a group of people that were building things, and then you have a group of people who, you know, were, weren't necessarily into it. These days, it's everybody is building their personal brand. Whether you have a company or not, you're building your personal brand. So if you're on social media, every post and caption and like and comment is a portrayal of who you want others uh, to perceive you as. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean you have to sell anything, but you're selling yourself in some ways. Yeah. Because we don't have a live camera following us 24-7. We curate that information for the world to see. Mm, that's just the word I was going to use. That it's a curation of, of who you are. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's a much different world than you know, 10, 15 years ago when that, that just didn't exist. I had this really interesting um, conversation with, like, I believe you're friends with him too, Maurice Lee. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was saying, oh, there was a, a recent sound bath that I did with a, a pianist and it was really beautiful. And he was like, oh, I don't, I don't know how I missed that. And he's like, I, was it on Instagram? You know, and it was one of those, those things. And we got into this conversation of, oh, people, normally now post what is happening like in terms of events or etc on instagram and um it's just sort of the common thing that you just assume people will see there totally yeah but again like we like we're not all privy to you know understanding how the algorithm works and like mm. who sees what and mm -hmm. you know we, we all are effectively like curating our own feeds through yeah. the the data that we've put onto these platforms so yeah so to to answer your original question like how do you like what makes it easier to sell your vision I mean the obvious answer is just like you know you know be authentic and you know just just tell people like what you're doing and you know the good and the bad all of that stuff and and but I'm not always confident that that will work in this world that's you know, and maybe we'll get into it. Like part of the reason why I've chosen a path currently towards exploring Web3 technology and, and things of that nature, because the reason I got into that space is because I, in some ways I was fed up with Web2. Like it's, it's tiring. Like I, I don't want to post something, you know, and I do a lot of um, consulting work for different brands and companies and have a lot of friends in this business and 
you know, they, they often ask like, you know, what's the, the marketing strategy and the, all that kind of stuff. And it's like, I, I don't even want to say it sometimes, right? You know, you need a social plan, you need a content strategy, you need a, oh man, I hate that. Mm. I just hate it. Mm. But like you're forced to, right? We're, we're in this world where I'm not sure you cannot play that game if you want to be like successful or you want people to see your stuff or, you know, you, you, you want more eyeballs on it, which generally is a big part of the game, right? Right, right. And those are just pillars of business now. It is because the, the world doesn't make it easy for you, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, with with the, the rising cost of, of living, right, with the way tax works, with um, the cost of everything, the building and cost of, you know, you can put, try to play the game where you don't, you aren't involved in that. And I know some businesses are not. They're struggling. They are, right? And that's, it's hard because they, they probably have the better product, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, I've always been a big supporter of small business. I've always been a big supporter of doing everything I can to support small businesses because I know the str- it's hard, <laughs> Yeah. It's just so hard. It is. And you've you've done a lot. Like if we if we go through your your career history with Physio Room mm-hmm. to Myo Detox to Vancouver Running Co. to co-founding Odd Future um, and co-founding Run As You Are. That's uh that's that's so much. And that's so much also knowledge and, and understanding of how the game has evolved over over a, you know long periods of time. And you know, I'd love to go to, to um, Physio Room and Myo Detox just because we may have some listeners who may not exactly know what physiotherapy <laughs> is sure. and why it's important not only for from a repair and rehab standpoint, but also from a preventative standpoint. Mm-hmm. So, like, what exactly is it in the world of so many other things like sure. um, going to your chiropractor or going to your osteopath or et cetera? What is physiotherapy specifically? Yeah, yeah. Um. I, like number one, I would say it's one of the worst or poorly, most poorly defined professions, right? Um, so at Physio Room, and then later on at Myo Detox, it was really physiotherapy, massage therapy, and chiropractic, right? And immediately those three have um, trigger certain definitions for people, right? And I think massage therapy is the best, like the best defined because. Uh, when you say massage therapy, people usually have a pretty good inkling of what that means. There's some kind of soft tissue type of stuff. Usually you're on a you know bed or a table of some sort and a therapist will uh, do some sort of soft tissue type of techniques to uh, kind of loosen you or um, you know do uh, you know increase blood flow like things like that. So that's fairly well defined. Chiropractics, in similar ways, I think a lot of people automatically think about um, manipulations of joints, right? Where you're, you know, the crack here, crack there, pop here, pop there. Uh, often necks and backs, that's the most common, at least the way people perceive it. And then you have physiotherapy, which could mean so many different things to so many different people because we do a little bit of massage work, right? With more passive kind of um, 
soft tissue release type of stuff. And then we often do a lot of the chiropractic stuff too. Like physios, a lot of physios also do manipulations and um, stuff of that nature, backs and necks, things like that. And then there's this like exercise component to it, which starts to bleed into um, personal training um, and all the other forms of, you know, movement based things like yoga, Pilates, things like that. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of sitting kind of between, I would say, the movement uh, and exercise based treatment and then the passive um, styles of treatment that's more kind of chiropractic and massage therapy. So effectively, we're, if you're hurt or injured or in pain, physiotherapy, physiotherapists will help you uh, get back to kind of your baseline. And then what we really tried to push at Physio Room as well as at Mild Detox, uh, way, a lot more at Mild Detox now is uh, from kind of your baseline to performance and preventative. Mm. Um, and whether that's passive or active, combination of both, um, we look at it kind of along that spectrum. Mm, okay, so it's really helpful for just like overall movement and mm-hmm. and strength, and most of us probably mm-hmm. move all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would say everybody moves right because mm-hmm. they're the everybody is different. Yeah, and there's no textbook way to move. And again, what we tried really hard and continue to try hard to do is to emphasize that you need like a 30 minute or 60 minute assessment treatment to understand somebody's experiences that everything to let them led them to kind of how they walk now and how they move now Mm. and figuring out from that point on through movement assessments as well as um treatment what is the best way to kind of, I would say, optimize you the way you should be optimized. Because again, I'm different than somebody who's, you know, way taller or way shorter or way bigger or smaller, whatever that may be, older, younger, like Mm -hmm. you really have to like, you know, get individualistic with, with, with clients. Um, That's interesting to think of your assessment as kind of this record of a person's personal history in, in a way. Totally. I would say I spend more time talking to my clients than I do getting them moving or doing any sort of passive because the the most interesting part is their history, Mm. like where they're from, you know, what sports they play, what injuries they've had. Um, But really, like, what, what are their goals? You know, what motivates them? Like, really humanize the situation you really start to understand what makes people laugh, what makes people cry, what makes people smile. Because all of those emotions that happen within uh, your body affect the way you heal, affect the way you move. Affect the, way, the way you stand, how your shoulders it. are back or they're not back. And yeah. oh, that's why you call Myo Detox a human development company in disguise <laughs> then. I see what you mean by it now. 
Yeah, because it's, it's not that like black and white, like, oh, you got to get stronger here or this is tight. So you got to loosen this. Uh, no, that's, you know, you that's part of it. But it's shocking how like, you know, you, you find the right cues in humans and all those problems go away. Mm. It's like somehow they're just stronger. How mm. did that happen? Well, maybe we just somehow got rid of their stress. And the stress was holding it back somehow. You know what I mean? Right. But it's like physiologically, that doesn't make any sense. Like, don't you have to, you know, strengthen that muscle, go to the gym and do these exercises, three sets of 10 for the next, you know, month before any like visible strength appears? Nope. The body's that complicated, right? Right, right. Have Have you heard of emotion coding before? No, that sounds great. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I have done it several times through someone that I, I see two or three times a year for for various modalities, mm-hmm. and um, it was it's a methodology that was created by a, a chiropractor, mm. um, and this was a couple of decades ago because he was recognizing that people were coming back to them to him, sorry, with the same injuries, even though he was realigning them or whatever he was doing to to help it get better and he was sort of on that forefront of people recognizing that oh there's emotion and trauma that's trapped in the body so let's take a look at that and he ended up creating this chart of two columns and multiple rows and then with within um the where the row and the column intersects is a box and the box has four to five different emotions to it and the row is related to an organ in your body that's cool. so um what the person that I go to does is uses, um, she uses a pendulum and -hmm. starts to ask it energetically, yes or no questions to see if there's an emotion that you need to release. And it was wild. I just did one a couple of weeks ago in which, and sometimes those emotions aren't yours. They can be ancestral, like Mm. things that have been um, inherited through epigenetics and, and stress, uh, the stress that is, uh, that changes your, your cells. Mm. And, uh, it's very interesting because I had to release four. Um, actually none of them were attached to me. Uh, they were uh, apparently attached to my paternal lineage. Oh. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was interesting because all of the four emotions that needed to be released were in the row for my liver and spleen. Mm. And the liver and spleen is the organ that my acupuncturist and my traditional Chinese medicine are consistently having to rebalance for me. That's crazy. That's wow. Isn't that wild? <laughs> That's very wild. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that that shows you though that this it's more holistic than we'd like to think. I you know, again like I grew up in Vancouver and I, I went to school at UBC and, you know, I studied science, then I studied physical therapy. Um, we don't question things outside what we're taught very often um, because it's kind of like gospel, right? Like that's the textbook, you know, you read that and you, you take a test and you memorize it and take a test and, you know, you don't really you don't often question the validity and the credibility of the sources, not when you're going to school. So taking a very Western approach to um, what, you know, physical therapy is, which is very Western, 
has it was how the journey started. You know, I graduated in 2006 and, you know, I went down this path and started physio room and eventually to myodetox. And I always joke that the longer I've been a therapist, the more simple my treatments have become. And like, I could barely, you know, like my anatomy is so poor these days (laughs) (laughs) because that's not really what it was about. Mm. Like Mm -hmm. my anatomy was really good at one point. I took all these courses and I did a lot of different, you know, uh, certifications to, to get to kind of up my game of, of like really being able to zero in on somebody's um, issue that they're coming in for. It's like, yep, it's that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then again, as you go further and further, it's like, and then like we're therapists are really good at convincing themselves that what they did worked, right? Mm-hmm. It's they're really like, you know, they'll do like a, an exercise or a, you know, soft tissue technique or a, or a manipulation, let's just say, and like everything got better after that, right? Mm-hmm. And we're so good at convincing <laughs> ourselves that that it's because of that, like we because we loosened that muscle or we strengthened this thing or we, you know, did this one thing, but humans are so complicated that maybe that thing triggered something else or maybe something else is something, you know, part of their uh, day-to-day life that had nothing to do with their kind of mm-hmm. musculoskeletal system. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's really what it was. Maybe they just, you know, needed somebody to, to talk to them or maybe, you know, but it's hard to quantify, right? Mm-hmm. Very hard to quantify. So again, as I got further and further um, I don't, I don't practice that much anymore, but even like the last two, three years of practice, I still do practice a little bit cause I do enjoy it. Um, it's, I feel like I just talk to people now, <laughs> like, <laughs> but what I spend most of my time doing. And then I think everybody that, at least for me, like, sees me now, I have like one thing I want them to do. And right. it's so simple to the point they're like, Really? Well, because you got to the core issue through the talking. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And you're just like, I think you just do this. Mm-hmm. And then and then I don't like back in the day, I used to tell people like, this is your exercise program. Like, like, you know, go do this and you're going to get better. And then if yeah. they didn't do their exercise program, I always had an excuse. So yeah. I'm like, well, you didn't do your exercise. <laughs> <laughs> you're actually, and you're like, actually, it's more than that, that you just didn't do your exercise. Exactly. There's like something else there you need to work out. Well, now, now it's like the polar opposite. I, I give them one exercise that seems so simple to the point they can't even believe they, they came to see me. And my I what I usually tell them, actually, I say this every single time is, well, two things are going to happen. Either you're going to get better or you're going to get worse. And either direction is going to help guide us mm. in this journey to get you better. Mm. But I have no idea because I don't actually know you that well. We just spent an hour together. <laughs> I don't know what the hell this thing's going to do. But you'll, if you get better, it's easy to like pat myself on the back saying, oh, of course, I knew that was going to happen, but I didn't. Mm. And if you get worse, it's like, well, did you do your exercise? Well, you didn't do it properly, <laughs> right? Like, oh, show me, show me, and then you show, and, then, and they'll show me, and they'll be like, oh yeah, you were, you, you know, the the form was off or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Therapists are so good at doing that, but the truth is, we just don't know. So, based on the one hour conversation we had, I'm gonna make the most best guess that I can, 
and be super honest about it. And I'm going to give you this one thing and you're going to go do it. Yeah. And, and you see what happens next. Exactly. Because <laughs> they're always like, this is going to make me better, right? I'm like, I'm not actually sure. It might actually make you worse. But if it doesn't do anything, then that's that's probably even worse because then we have to redo this again next week. Mm. I want mm-hmm. it to go better or worse because at least it'll tell me something. <laughs> it'll right. give me a clue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I, I know like every time I like still treat some of the other younger therapists, like they hear me and they, they hear me say that. They're like, what does this guy say? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I was being honest. That's that's the truth. Right. 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 What well, that's such an interesting such an interesting approach but I, I kind of like it actually well but that relieves all like for me as a therapist it helps me a lot because it's the it's as honest as I can make it mm-hmm. and there's no when you're honest <laughs> we just covered all bases and the truth is as I do tell young therapists sometimes the truth is they're likely going to get better right at 90 percent they'll get better mm-hmm. but don't tell them that I don't think it's necessary to just tell them, you know, what you know, which is you might get better, you might get worse, right? mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. just do it. Promise me you'll do it. Right. And then next week we'll chat again. And the likelihood is they'll come back next week and be like, you know what? It was way better. Mm. <laughs> so in a sense, do you believe then that a lot of our aches and pains and ailments are in our heads? Well, our head's the controller of all, right? So the brain is is that powerful, um, you know, and we are not even close to understanding 1% of it, right? That's how complex the brain is. So is it in our heads? You know, like when you say that, it sounds like we're like, like, you know, just saying like, oh, it's just in your head type of thing. The, if you like dig deeper in what that actually means, it's in your head. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And I do think that we have, we have this immense power to uh, help ourselves heal. And, and I'll give you an example. And I think I've shared it on the, on the, on the show before um, with another episode, but uh, essentially uh, my Western medicine doctor wanted me to get some blood work done. And so I, I got it done. Um, and she came back to me, you know, when the results came in and she called me and she said, your blood work came back. It is really good. <laughs> it's really great. And uh, then she said, and your cholesterol is really great. You're like on the top percentile. If you keep on going, you're going to live a really long life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, really? My cholesterol? Because sometimes <laughs> I think I eat too much sugar. So I don't know. Um but what I ended up telling her was that I uh, had, for the last year, mm-hmm. gotten into the habit of thanking my body in the morning and just saying, thank you. You know, I, I really appreciate you. Um, and that's what I told her. But actually, the, the deeper level is when I'm doing that, I actually uh, imagine my, my red blood cells and my white, white blood cells as kind of like cartoon characters. <laughs> And just kind of having a dance party, like we're it. super happy and this yeah. is great. And I think part of me was doing that because, you know, we were going through COVID and I just wanted to make sure that my body was super strong and, and all of these things. And I just wanted to, you know, appreciate my, my vessel as well. 
And uh, so it made me laugh that my blood work came back so strong, which she's never said that about my blood work before. Not that it was weak, but she was very excited. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was like, that's the only thing I've been doing differently is yes. imagining my blood healthy and happy. And that's all it takes. <laughs> that's how crazy it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, you know, the power of the mind is something we'll never quite understand. I'm a big believer in that, though. And again, like I, I, I dove so far into Western medicine, took so many courses and read every book you can imagine. And, you know, really as a pursuit, right? Like for being a physiotherapist, I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be able to teach people these things. And you know, you, you eventually go down a path where you almost come full circle, right? Um, you know, I am Chinese, and growing up, it was the opposite of Western medicine for me, right? My, my mom and my dad, but mostly my mom, would make me, you know, drink these really strange soups. Um, medicine that made no sense, like had no label like you know it just had I would always question it like when I was in kind of elementary and then high school I would for sure question like should I just be taking this like Tylenol or (laughs) (laughs) or like just this random mixture of questionable like no name things that you know are probably more naturopathic I would assume but it wasn't really a thing (laughs) <laughs> you know, naturopath came like a little bit later, right? Became like a thing, right? Just like a lot of the Chinese herbs and and stuff that my my parents were um, um, giving me at an early age, um, kind of became a thing again, like in in culture. So when you when you see these things come full circle, you start to go right. That's yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. There's something to it. I read something really interesting a few months ago and it made me reframe my thoughts around tea. Mm. And I'm not sure where I read it, but essentially it was saying, you do realize that tea is medicine, right? Mm -hmm. That the, that the leaves and the way that people blend them will induce certain things. Some will make you sleepy. Some will uh, help you uh, detox. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's other ones that'll give you energy. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, like tea is medicine. And it's not just something hot that we drink to feel soothed before bed, which we can use it for that, too. But there's just so many other uses. And I just thought, oh, that's how beautiful. Yeah, Yeah. Well, again, like it's medicine is defined a certain way, I think, in Western cultures and um if we broaden that definition, which we should, to something that, you know, has uh, an effect on the output, like it's an input for um, some level of a desired output, then it's a medicine mm-hmm. because it can change mm-hmm. the course of something, right? Um, and as we kind of expand that more, it, it, it ends up, you know, you're now starting to really just amalgamate cultures right like asian cultures and you know african cultures like all cultures are actually was one big pot of 
but we're so good at like defining uh, things in, in, in specific cultures that um, depending on kind of how you grow up and where you're from, it, it kind of predefines life for you mm-hmm. <laughs> as, and I, you know, I'm like a, one of those guys that just loves to learn and explore. Like if, if, if I'm not building businesses <laughs> or my companies online, I'm actually on Wikipedia. <laughs> like a lot. Rabbit holing? Yeah. Yeah. Because I just, I'm just clicking on things that I've never heard of before. Mm-hmm. It's funny because Wikipedia is like the, for me, like the most non-biased source of information. Hmm. Because it's a non-centralized platform. Right. Yeah, it can be updated by anybody. Anybody. It is the community platform, but not everybody realizes that, right? Mm. Because most people, you know, go on the internet and Google and search things. And as soon as you're using Google, it's, you know, it's curated. Mm-hmm. Already. <laughs> Already. Yeah. Wiki might be the only thing um, in the Web2 world that is completely, like, you know, decentralized and interesting so that that's why i use wiki a lot Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um because it's from people and it's vetted you know they have a whole community system to make sure the the content is like legit it's real Mm -hmm. type of thing so that's right yeah i'm on wiki a lot yeah i'd love to talk about that because we were just talking about tea and (laughs) sort of like (laughs) you know some ancient rituals and practices but you've got a huge interest in the future and web three and you've got odd future which is I, i'd love for you to talk about that but um you know it's a it's a creative studio that's helping bridge the gap from the physical world to the metaverse and and what brought you to this place <laughs> so last year two years ago now um obviously covid happened which just i feel like makes everyone reflect on life a lot um because it's a big shock to everybody in their day-to-day lives. I spent a lot of time, you know, uh, just, you know, reflecting on what's important for me and what's, um, you know, what I want to see in the next few years for, for myself and my family and, and, and whatnot. And I just kind of, I was in my detox and physio room for 10 years, 10 plus years, just over 10 years, I think. And I just felt like it was time for me to move on from it and not in a bad way. I I love the people there. I'm still part of the company. I'm still friends with a lot of people there. So it's not in a bad way at all. I think it can come across that way because, you know, you suddenly leave a company that you helped build um, could feel like, well, that was out of left field. But I felt like, Mayo and physio room and my profession as a physiotherapist as well really started to define who I was. And that's what kind of number one started to bother me because there's so many other parts of me that I wanted to explore. And there's so many other parts of me that I already were, was exploring, but nobody would know about it. So that's, that's going back to the whole like social curation thing you know, you meet somebody like, oh, you're the physio guy or you're the myo guy or you're the, it's like, oh, wow, really? Like, <laughs> like 
my name is Nick, you know? Yeah. I do a lot of other things. <laughs> but if you feel like that conversation is going to just, it's going to lead down that path because they're going to ask you about Mayo and, you know, so like you end up like curating your life now, like even your physical life around, it's like, I'm not allowed to talk about anything else other than that type of thing. And that started to have an effect on me for sure, kind of mentally. And when COVID happened, I, for, it was the first time I felt like free, right? Because there weren't like the, you know, 10 Zoom calls a day. There wasn't the, you know, going to the office because the office was closed, right? So I felt like, wow, like I can finally like just do whatever I want to do type of thing. So I started to look into um, new emerging technologies and Web3, specifically on the kind of NFT crypto side, was fascinating. It was just the most fascinating thing ever because I'm always interested in the way people consume and why they do it. So this was late 2020. Started to like hear all the news about like this concept of NFTs. And for me, I knew nothing about it, like at all, like you know, it was just, I'm not in tech, I'm not an engineer, I'm not a developer, I'm a physiotherapist, <laughs> entrepreneur. So, but I was like spending more time researching, going on YouTube videos around NFTs and crypto and blockchain and all that kind of stuff than I was spending time doing Mayo stuff at that point. And I kept going, asking myself, like, why? And I wanted to, you know, I felt like while well, I was turning 40 and I really wanted to wake up every morning feeling 100% excited about what I was doing that day. And at Mayo, it just felt like there was more, it felt like I Everything I could do was or was done and anything else I would do would be kind of diminishing returns. Yes, it would help, you know, build it more, open more clinics. But I also felt like I was limiting the growth of a lot of people on the team because I, I had a lot of experience. Like I spent my entire life in that world, building it and growing it and you know, it started getting a little awkward in Zoom calls where, you know, either I, you know, have to bite my tongue because I don't agree with something or I just let it go. It was either or. So I was just like, you know what? I need to go explore where the world will be in the next 10 years. And even though nobody's going to understand it, it's going to be really weird. I really want to go and do it. And it didn't mean necessarily like build a company around it. I just wanted to learn about it. And I just need more time. Uh, it was the exact same time I had my kid. I remember when I held my kid for the first time, two weeks later is when I left Mayo. Hmm. Because I'm like, there's only two things I could do, not three. 
and if my kid and then all my stuff in Mayo was the two, then there's no way I have enough time to really go explore this new technology. So I said I had to pick between the well, the kid was obvious. <laughs> so had to pick between Mayo and going to just explore and be a student all over again and you know not have to show up every day kind of being being the person that the people perceive me as having all the answers. I it got tiring. I I want to be a student too. I want to learn. I want somebody to teach me how to do these things. So I decided two weeks after having the kid that, you know what, I'm, I'm going to leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody understood at the time. And I remember I talked to uh, my CEO at Mayo at the time that I was going to go do this. And he was, he was like, kind of like, are you serious? <laughs> like, to go like explore blockchain and NFTs and stuff. It's just a fad, man. I'm like, well, maybe, but um, I'm just like a curious curious learn I, I have to go and go do it so I did that was uh end of 2021 so about October of 2021 is when I uh, com- officially left my and uh, just started to explore web3 stuff <clears throat> um, again like because it's so new especially at that time word quickly goes around that you're like the nft guy or the web3 guy so so it's the same kind of the same in some ways in some yeah. ways the same issue but i get it though i you know you wanted to explore this new area for many reasons but also you had a son and so you know what is his future gonna look like yep how is it going to evolve and you know what do you need to know about it so that he you know, is, is set up. Yeah. I I would say like, I crave so much for my son to be proud of me. And maybe that's like a, like a response from uh, my early days with my own dad that I want to be able to speak his language. I want to be able to, I I know that, you know, in five, 10, 20 years from now that, that um, they, that generation is going to, you know, interact with the world in a completely new way that I might not understand just like how it is today with my parents and you know my parents still you know they're not on social (laughs) you know my mom's always asking me like I need I want to know what's like happening with your life in my head I'm like you just like go on Instagram (laughs) she doesn't use that you know what I mean so it's there's these like barriers to continue to connect because the the world moves a certain way and uh, the way we interact with it completely changes and I would say even faster now than it was before so like I I I want my kids so so much to like like be proud of me but also like uh, for us to understand each other mm. and not have that barrier kind of between us so mm. Web three just seemed like an obvious like. <laughs> For me, you know, again, I'm fortunate that I can go and explore these things. I, and I realized that I spent a lot of my 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 time being an entrepreneur, um, um, making sure that I could kind of pivot if I needed to in the future. Because in a lot of ways, I knew I wanted to. I just never really told anyone about it. Mm. Like, and so with Web3... What 
what is happening in the space right now that you feel really excited about and you feel that people should know this? <laughs> I, you know, if you, if you speak to anyone in Web3, um, <clears throat> they'll often say the same thing, which is it's this idea of ownership of information and data. And I do think it's powerful to be able to um, kind of have complete ownership of your own information digitally. We all interact with the internet um, and digital experiences constantly, but 99% of the platforms um, are completely centralized. So, you know, if you use Instagram or, you know, Spotify or YouTube or any of that stuff, right? It's just a collection of data of people, you know, what you like, what your preferences are, you know, it's the curation again, right? But, and that information in this kind of the way the world is right now is very valuable. That's how the advertising world works because that information allows you to target uh, consumers to uh, scary ways, right? Right. And we've all had those experiences, right? Where we're just talking with a friend and then all of a sudden we go on our phones and it's like, oh my God, Mm -hmm. it just popped up in my feed. How did that happen? Mm -hmm. Right, so... The machines are listening. They all oh, they and they clearly are, <laughs> right? So that is what I think not everyone fully understands in a negative way, and I think that's okay, right? Because the truth is, those products are actually good. There's a lot of good that comes with it. Instagram and TikTok and all those platforms, they're kind of like fun, right? It's a good way to get information. It's a good way to consume content. So there's a lot of good that comes with it, right? The bad side of it is the the side that we just talked about with the data collection and the, you know, selling to advertisers and things like that. But majority of the people don't even like care, right? Mm. So if you talk to Web3 people, that's often the point that they're trying to make is like, wouldn't you rather like you know, own your information, your digital footprint and all that kind of stuff. Most people are like, I don't know. <laughs> mm. I don't even think it's that bad. So it, it shows you kind of like the gap between where the world is today and where all the Web3 people are trying to build for. There's clear communication issues between the two sides. All the Web3 people are convinced that, you know, all these centralized platforms are more bad than good uh, whereas the, the the most of the market is is not convinced mm. because they enjoy it it's fun it's right. like a, you know good so is that what they want though for us to think that <clears throat> it's fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, uh, I mean, I we could we could go in many directions but but the people who are building this web3 world um you know and 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 their beliefs around owning their their data um I mean, is that like a big consideration point for us? Should we be like, maybe we should be thinking about this? I think so. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's, um, I mean, the idea of having ownership of your digital footprint 
becomes important as we immerse ourselves further into digital experiences, or at least having the option to do so, like like being able to opt in and opt out is a good option, right? Um, I think people that are not well-versed in the Web3 space <clears throat> are often scared of it because it's this idea of like, and maybe it's like Ready Player One, like that movie, mm -hmm. the book. Um, and that's the first thing they think of when they hear the word metaverse, which is, again, the, the worst defined word out there uh, that you have to put on these goggles and immerse yourself in this virtual world that truthfully most people don't want to be a part of <laughs> at all, including me. Um, I That's not how I define it. Mm, how do you define it? Interacting digitally. We all already have entered the metaverse because we curate information around ourselves. We have a digital representation of, of ourselves constantly. If you go on any platform currently that exists, your digital identity has already been curated. So you already are in the metaverse. Yeah. So this is just another way of doing it. Well, it's just not like virtual or, you know, immersive necessarily. Mm -hmm. But do we not carry our phones with us all the time? Are we not counting steps every second when we carry our phones? Do we not check how many steps we did at the end of the day? Those are digital representations of you. I did 10,000 steps today. What does that mean? Well, that's that's data. That's information. That's That's who you are. You did that many steps, right? We mm -hmm. all use different products constantly right whether it's right. you know again like the social platforms or any platform that yeah. exists so to me like the metaverse is really just <clears throat> um using uh building a digital identity the way it's been portrayed uh and then the capabilities of it i think is is what the future looks like which is an immersive experience that maybe utilizes you know blockchain so that and all that means again is that the information and data storage um, is available and transparent to everybody who wants it which means it's decentralized right mm -hmm. that's like the polar opposite end and the extreme of what the metaverse is uh, we're just in the early days of metaverse but we're, we're already in the metaverse especially if you look at games right right mm -hmm. people play with games all the time and do they not have a um identity on the game the character they use the amount of you know dragons they've slayed the points they've collected the and that means something to people right, right. they log back into that game and they're you know, X level, or whatever, yeah. whatever that is. Why is that? Why can't you, why don't you just start all over or like have an anonymous, because it means something. You have an identity in that game. And you have a community. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And a pretty hardcore one. <laughs> <laughs> a very hardcore one. <laughs> and so with, um, with Run As You Are, yes. which is your global running community, but it's also a platform and you are also looking at bringing in immersive experience for runners through technology, um, digitally and in life. Uh, what is this, what is immersive experience through tech 
what is that like in running? I, so again, like when those words can, tr- can be triggering because it, it, it might feel like, oh, you have to wear these goggles and like go on a, uh, in a run together in the metaverse, which, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like we all wear goggles and run virtually in a marathon. That's not what we mean, right? What we mean is the one thing that connects everybody in the current world is the use of their phones. And everybody carries it around with them 24-7 nonstop. So they're interacting with uh, digitally already. So is there a way that we can use technology to connect everybody through an app? And the app is very specific to running. So how it works is we don't call it a Web3 app. It's just an app because in five to 10 years when Web3 is a thing and blockchain is a thing, nobody's going to reference it like an NFT. They don't reference these things anymore. Just like we don't reference musical files anymore. It's just a song Mm. that we download. We don't say, is that an MP3? Is that a, right? Because technology, when it's in its infancy, we always like to reference the technology itself. An app is an app. It's just an application, right, where you can interact with it through running. Our job is to use Web3 technology in ways that enhance that experience for runners. We don't need to talk about the technology, and you don't need to know it's Web2, Web3, Web1. It doesn't matter. All we're trying to build is a global running community that you want to be a part of because it's fun. Don't worry about the technology. (laughs) That has nothing to do with anything because you don't need to buy an NFT to join. It's free. You don't need crypto because if you do want to buy the membership, which is an NFT, we've allowed you to use, you know, credit cards or regular currency that people are familiar with. You don't need to interact with you know, digital wallets and things like these are all like terms that Web3 people understand. We built it in a way that is um, completely not foreign to uh, the way people interact with the world today. Mm. But it will, it can evolve them over time to get used to this. And they would only Web3 get, space. Yeah, they would mm. only interact with Web3 if we show them the value of Web3 through the product itself, mm. right? Does the make does it make the experience more fun? Do I want to do this more? And is that something that only blockchain Web3 stuff can do? Or can we do it in the Web2 way? And if we can't do it in the Web2 way, let's do it in the Web2 way. Mm. <laughs> because the people love it. There's nothing wrong with that, you know? So, um, but again, in in essence, it's really just an app that you download. Uh, sorry, you don't download it right now. It's, it's actually a web app. So you just go on the website and you join completely for free and it'll prompt you through the onboarding process, but effectively you're just syncing a Strava account, Mm -hmm. Mm. right? And then we're building the features that allow you to kind of go on all these missions and uh, we call redemptions 
um, the other side of it, but effectively you just use Strava and go on runs and there'll be a bunch of kind of fun games that are, you can take part in, whether it's like running with friends or we're trying to do things in ways that encourage ultimately what we're trying to create, which is a world that is uh, diverse and inclusive where everyone feels welcome, that you don't have to be super fast. You know, as long as you're moving forward in life, then you're, you're welcome in our community. Yeah. It's completely free to join. You're, you're a runner if you can, if you can move. (laughs) Yeah. And like people have asked like, well, what if, you know, what if you're in a wheelchair or what if you're, you're, you're part of that community too. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we might be limited by technology today, but we won't be limited in the future, mm-hmm. right? As as long as you, you know, wake up every morning wanting to be pushed forward in, in life, then how are you not a runner? That's what runners do. Running is such a dedicated community. Mm-hmm. It's like very. Tight-knit, <laughs> very dedicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's impressive seeing how it's really kind of taken off in the last, you know, maybe five to 10 years, like in a different way, in a very, very like... Um, yeah, it's just expansive now. Yeah, I would say COVID really helped it a lot with, mm. the, with the gyms closing, number one. Yeah, right, um, right. But it's also like, and this is me like, you know, nerding out on my physio background. It's the most natural movement because mm. running is walking, but just like faster. <laughs> and I, you know, used to have this thing where like you're either, there's either like hardware or software. Mm. And running is hardware. It's not something you download. Software is things like sports, right? Like basketball is created. Somebody created that app. Right. You know, we weren't born to play a sport. We, we were created. born to run, though, because, you know, yeah. hunting, gathering, like all of those things that required that movement. And you can, everybody knows how to do it, even though they don't think they know how to do it, right? you're, you know, chasing a bus or you're mm-hmm. chasing your kid. Well, you're running, all right, <laughs> right? But you might not know how to swing a racket or weightlift in the gym, mm. right? Because... Oh, never thought of running that way, like that it's just you. everyone just kind of knows how to do it. You're, it's and developed. Animals and, everybody. yeah, it's like built in. It's, Have you ever read, um, one of my favorite authors is Haruki Murakami, and he wrote a memoir about writing and running. So I, I haven't read it. Um, I think Zach actually is the one who who uh, might have shared it with me. So I have not read it. I've seen it in, in a few different bookstores. And I think Zach kind of mentioned it. It's really, really great because he's, I mean, he's a prolific writer, but he's also a prolific long distance runner. And he's he, his book talks about how the two sort of intersect and are similar in a lot of ways and he's got a couple of quotes that are so great like I, I actually put down a few so that I could say them because they're so philosophical but one is first came the action of running and accompanying it there was this entity known as me I run therefore I am that's awesome which is really cool and then uh, another one he has is uh, I just run I run in void or maybe I should put it the other way I run in order to acquire a void Mm, that's deep yeah it's really deep so I, I feel like you'd really really enjoy the book and I mean you seem to be a pretty philosophical <laughs> introspective person <laughs> I, but why do you love running so I I picked up running um 
So I'll, I'll tell you like the real story. I picked up running initially for all the wrong reasons. I picked it up because I thought it was a good community to target uh, during my physiotherapy days. So very reluctantly, I decided to go run because I really felt like, look, if, if I'm going to go, you know, treat runners, a lot of runners in, in physio, that I really needed to like know how it felt to run a marathon, like talk about credibility and all that kind of stuff. So initially was that uh, for sure. And then I just fell in love with it. Um, you know, I grew up a basketball player. I didn't, I didn't run, run, running was like the, like what you, what you never want to do. Like you would shoot free throws and if you missed, you would go for a run. Like <laughs> nobody ever wanted to run. So I, but I ended up loving it because it was such a good way. And maybe it was like in parallel, this whole like technology world was too overwhelming for me. It was the best way for me to not look at my phone mm. was to go for a run. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm human just like everyone else's. Right. So oftentimes I'm at home, either on my laptop or my phone. Right. And I hate it. But, you know, I'm kind of a consumer of the product in itself sometimes too much and running was just this way for me to go outside and feel like in some ways feel human again <laughs> right um and of course the you know the benefits of obviously like the physical benefits of it but the mental benefits of it is immense like if i if i don't run in the morning so i run every day if i don't run in the mornings it's kind of like missing a cup of coffee for me. Like I feel really off. Mm, yeah. mm -hmm. Well, you can achieve this flow state when you're running. That is quite, yeah. quite a addictive. I was part of a run club probably about five or six years ago. And, um, it was just a bunch of women and we had, uh, we had a, uh, someone who led the group and, um, and it was really, really fun. I mean, I had to stop because I was getting sciatica. Mm. Um, so unfortunately I had to stop, but I do remember really enjoying it a lot, especially when you hit that stride totally. where it's almost like you're <laughs> not even running anymore. Totally. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, chasing the high they always mm -hmm. say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I get why there's such a community around it for sure. Totally. Well, I just have a couple more questions. Sure. Three more questions. Um, I'd love to know about your son. And yeah. he's still young, but what have you noticed about him lately that is just so exciting for you as you watch him develop into his own being? <laughs> I mean, this, this question I feel like would change every day or week because they, number one, they develop so fast, right? Yeah. Well, how about today? Because this conversation is happening today and you know, this is the present moment. Sure. Um, I mean, like, I love the way that his reactions and emotions and um, kind of like all the outputs that he, he puts out in the world are raw, right? It's something I notice a lot um, and more and more now, and maybe that'll change soon. Uh, as, as he continues to develop, but you know, when he's hungry, uh, he's yelling, right? It's like unfiltered 
raw emotion, which is maybe it's just something I wish I could do. You know, it's that like freedom to express. I don't feel like the world that we live in right now gives us that freedom to sometimes you just want to like scream, you know, like when he's sleepy, he's screaming. (laughs) But then on the flip side of that is, you know, when he hugs me, it's like, wow, that's like a raw emotion. Right. And you know, not to say, you know, a friend and like your family, when they're hugging you, it's not that. But you're always like, wait a sec, like, do you want something from me? <laughs> Type of thing. Right. Cause that's it can it can sometimes um be manipulative in, in the in the adult world. Mm-hmm. I I hope it's not always. And yeah. you know, I'm not saying it always is, but it's more um curated, mm-hmm. right? when you smile at somebody or laugh at the joke or hug them or kiss them or whatever, right? That's, it's kind of like an Instagram post, right? You're curating that because that's what you want that person to feel at that moment, mm. right? Um, and we're, we're almost too far down that path. When you, when you have kids like my son and when like, I cry sometimes when he hugs me because it's like, oh, man, this is like just pure, like, like, you know, he doesn't want anything from me yet because he doesn't know how to do that. Right. <laughs> he doesn't, you know, he's not trying to get anything from me yet. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe next year he will. He wants like candy or like toys or whatever, but he's, he just doesn't know that yet. Right. So you get, you get the both sides of those extremes of like good and bad, but I love the pure kind of raw emotions Mm. from from him. That's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe, I mean, they always say this, right? Not that I have children, but I've heard my friends who are parents say Mm -hmm. this, but your children are always teaching you things. And yeah, maybe he's teaching you that it's okay to express. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. It's definitely opened, opened my eyes a lot in terms of like, just even with my own friends and, and family, just like being okay with like, you know, giving a hug once in a while or like saying, you know, it doesn't even have to be like, like that deep, just like acknowledging or people love that, right? People mm-hmm. love being acknowledged for, for, you know, anything. I, ever since my son, for sure, I've spent a lot more time, like just being aware of it and being intentional around just doing that more because I, you know let's let's go back to the (laughs) because it's so nice so nice (laughs) it's so so nice exactly um my next question um you know I've been sort of in in my mind uh during this conversation every now and then but you know after our our last coffee too and just reflecting on your origin story and how you you speak about your your father and you know I know your uncles were also part of um the shop too in some ways um i'd love to know what you would like to say to your father and your uncles who worked really hard as immigrants about what you observed as a young man and what you hope for the rest of their lives um 
I mean, I, like I probably should just say this in person to to my own dad because, and I never do. I don't. I don't. You know, um, and he he's not a big podcast listener, so I doubt he'll listen to this. My brother might might, uh, um, you know, give it to him somehow. But I would say that everything he's done for like the first thing I'll say, which I have said before, I know some people know this about me is my dad's my hero. He, I think everything about my life, the way, you know, I've, I've always like kind of built things um and even like relationships around me comes from my dad right i don't think he knows that um because he was the most selfless person he never to this day till this day he's never been on a vacay <laughs> which is like shocking to me right but he wants us to be so happy all the time that uh, he was willing to forego that, right? And I'm not like to his level. That's why he's my hero, right? Because I, I, you know, I feel like I've um, tried to emulate that as much as possible. But it's 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 kind of like you know in in the way I was brought up. I try really hard to you know, do things for others and, and make others happy, whether they notice it or not. Um, and that that always has come from my dad. So I, I would thank him, you know. I would say that, you know, I'm very appreciative of everything that he's ever done for me. And he doesn't know to what extent. Yeah. Hmm. Well, maybe you can say this to him. One day. I hope to. You know, I, I, I always tell my wife that one of, one of my dreams is to, to uh, go on a vacation with my dad. And, like, he's, he's gotten to the point where he just, like, doesn't want to talk. Well, like he ra- he'd rather not, you know what I mean? Like, I almost have to force the guy to, to do it. Like, just, like, you know, pack his bags for him. And just, <laughs> like, to go. Because he's, it's, like, this persona he has where he's just, like, never wants to go, like, he wants us to go, you know, he'll take care of my dog, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, check in on the house. Like he's just, he, that's just him, you know, <laughs> you're going to have to kidnap him. I'm going to have to kidnap him. <laughs> like I really want to take him on like a trip uh, yeah. and then, and then tell him like, you know, over dinner or whatever, like, you know, I, I would love that. It's going to happen. I feel it. <laughs> Thank you. I plan to. It's part of my, it's part of my uh, 2023 goals. <laughs> And that's very close. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. Um, My final question that I ask everyone, with what you do, what is it that you want to leave behind in the world? This one's always like tough because I think it's often, I just just want to be remembered for somebody who um, put others in front of myself. I don't really care about all the, you know, I think kind of business success and I don't actually want to be remembered for much of that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I always have dreams of just 
living a very quiet life when I, you know, I, I used to say when I get older, but I'm now clearly older. So, <laughs> so I would say in the next, like, I'd say even two, three, four years, like I tell a lot of the people, my close circle of friends that I very much want to like kind of, no, I won't say leave the world, like, but kind of just be with my family and, you know, spend most of my time, like, not, not, like, stressing about everything that comes along with, like, building businesses uh, and just live a very, very quiet life. And, you know, you know, like the men in black thing where you, you know, press the button and they forget everything. I feel like I got everything I needed out of out of doing what I did. I don't need other people to remember me for those things. I would love to leave the one memory, which is just, yeah, I remember that guy. I think he did it the right way. Um, I don't remember exactly what he did, though, but he kind of always put others in front of himself. That's the only thing I would care about. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. I like that. You're leaving behind a feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I always read like business books. I feel like, like you write a book and you write a biography and they all start to sound the same. The story sounds similar. Right. And it's again, this like world of curation, right? Like, cause the story we, you know, a great story sells, right? So, and then that starts to define your life for the remainder of it. Like you're that person. You're like, you know, the most successful kind of business person, business people in the world. People always remember them for that. Like, and they don't necessarily remember, you know, more the human side of what got them there. Um, because it, it's not like the kind of the, the sexy story, you know, that sells. So I would love for people to forget everything about me and every like my own physio, like all that stuff. I don't want my name attached to any of that stuff because I think it served the purpose it needed to serve, which was to help me learn and develop and be a better person. Um, and I, I hope it, you know, I always wish like all the things I were a part of, was a part of and am a part of continues to be very successful and uh, becomes a vehicle for other people to develop and learn and become a better person. But I don't need it to be tied to me at all. I want to be with my son and my family. You just want to be Nick. I just want to be Nick. That's Mm. it. Yep. Thank you, Nick, for being here, for showing up and, and sharing and just being you. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was uh, a lot of fun. Um, And yeah, thanks. Here's to many more. Definitely. As always, thank you for being here and for listening. To learn more about today's guest, visit the episode page for show notes and links on wearethecraft.com. You can find the entire podcast archive here or explore more conversations with past guests on Spotify and Apple. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on these platforms, including YouTube, to get notified when new episodes drop. Any likes and shares on social media are deeply appreciated too. Sound and audio engineering for the show are by Andrew and Jay Bagaspis. 
All guest portraits and images are by Juno Kim. Appreciate you all and see you again soon.